African Defence Review podcast with Conroy and me, Richard. We've had a busy, oh my god, so busy day at Euro's Hatchery today. Uh, checking out, I would probably say, what, maybe one third of all the toys that were on the floor today? Yeah, and even that's pretty ambitious. We've seen a bunch of stuff. Some was really interesting, some was less interesting, some was properly fascinating. So we saw, I mean, maybe to kick it off, we saw some people uh, making water out of air. That was I didn't even think that was possible. Right, yeah, the, the Tatooine moisture farmers. Uh, this, this was actually uh, as part of the, the Israeli uh, contingent. They have a very large defense uh, section set aside, but this was actually outside of the defense sort of cluster because it, it's not specific to military service. Uh, it's, so it's a civilian outfit that are marketing a couple of, uh, a couple of devices that are capable of in two cases at least, uh, extracting extracting drinkable water, large quantities of drinkable water just from the air. Uh, one of them was a very large system designed to produce several hundred litres of water. Um, and the other was a smaller system that you could potentially use in a vehicle and provide water for the crew, which, which sounds fantastic and had a lot of attention. The owner was very proud of... of uh, of the magazine attention that they've been receiving lately. They've, they've been listed as uh, one of the, the, I think it was about the 23rd most innovative co- company in the yeah. world at the moment. So so that was really interesting. And it's nice to see, uh, he said, for example, the UN has shown a lot of interest in, in their stuff, which is, that's positive to see that you know, some of this tech is being taken up. Um, what else? Oh, so also, I mean, in that in the Israeli section of the the displays, there was the it was a company. I think it was IAI was displaying what was essentially a loitering missile or suicide drone kind of idea. That was that was very interesting. Um, so the idea being that it's as, as I saw it, it's a drone that they launch. It has kind of a six hour stay in the air time, um, and will kind of hold over a target alone or in a formation with other other such drones until whatever it is they're looking to kill pops its head out and then the drone can dive down at I think from vertical heights or at degrees I think as low he said as 10 to 15 degrees uh, at 400 kilometers an hour to take out the target uh, I thought I mean I thought that was interesting so it's it's certainly maybe a useful technology he was talking about the scenarios where you're trying to hunt something but it, it doesn't show itself very long not long enough for you to respond with for example a normal missile strike um, I would question, though, you know, what what the application of something like that would be, because it, you certainly wouldn't use it against modern militaries who have pretty effective um, sort of anti-missile technologies or you, technologies like that that would be more than enough to, to take out a diving explosive drone. Um, so I'm kind of wondering, you know, suspiciously, suspiciously, I, I'm kind of wondering how much of that is counterinsurgency type activity, or I mean, in Israel's case, you're looking at maybe Hezbollah, um, maybe militants in the West Bank, those those kind of groups. Right, absolutely. There's, there's, there were definitely those political undertones. The, the sort of, the asymmetric warfare application of that particular weapon. Um, it was pretty interesting the way the, uh, the gentleman describing it to us was was bouncing between terminology. It, on one hand, it is sort of an unmanned vehicle, but at the other hand, on the other hand, it is uh, once you've launched it, it is effectively a, a, a you've committed to using the weapon it's non-recoverable so so you sort of launch it and then it's just a it's a delayed missile it's a missile with loiter capabilities so it is it is interesting to see though i mean particularly with the israel stance just how the the country political and economic maybe context 
determines the kind of defense tech they're looking at. So things like loitering missiles, things like water from air, you'd be unlikely to see those sort of weapon developments from, say, some other countries uh, like Germany or whatever. It wouldn't be prioritized um, as much as, for example, Israel's case. So you see maybe the politics of that region kind of informing their, their defense decisions and, and the kind of technology that they were bringing to Eurocentry. Which is particularly interesting. The way Eurocentry has grouped uh, grouped companies, grouped exhibitors, uh, based on on sort of on technological clusters. So all the IED or counter IED technology is in one place, and all the drones are in another place. But they also sort of put people in uh, in kind of geographic order. So all the Israeli companies were in one area, all the American companies were in another. So yeah, it's it's, it's just another sort of dimension to it. And then I think the final thing that stuck out for me at the sort of Israeli section of the the demonstration was for lack of a better word, what appears to be a flipping out gun turret that attaches to a helicopter. So it's it's a gun turret that, and this sounds bizarre, but hides inside a, a non-military helicopter. And if that helicopter comes under attack, it's sort of, um, there's a robotic mechanical arm that attack, reaches out and attaches a gun turret to the underside of the, of the helicopter that can then be used to fire on targets. And I, I mean, I kind of wonder about that. Why don't you just make you know, which exists already, gun kits for a helicopter. I mean, if you're going to weaponize a civilian helicopter, then you weaponize a civilian helicopter. Well, maybe not civilian helicopter. In this case, it was specifically a logistics helicopter. So not not an attack helicopter. So a Blackhawk doing supply runs, for instance. And the idea is, well, you've taken fire and now you can push a button somewhere and deploy this this weapon. And it, it really is quite a an interesting sort of way of deploying it with with the crane system then mounting it i believe magnetically to the the underside of the helicopter um and it wasn't light either i mean it looked like a fairly hefty piece of equipment absolutely which which then of course raises the question well what does that do to the payload of the logistics helicopter if, if you've now got this this pop-out gun system well why not just either either use a traditional attack helicopter in, in tandem with the logistics helicopter to protect it, and mm. then you can still have a logistics helicopter, or maybe you rely on your on normal door gunners, as is normally the case. So, yeah, on, on first first impressions, it seemed a bit hokey. Um, I mean, it's I, technically interesting, but what, what's the market segment? Here? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what, what we're going to do is probably look a little closer at it. Um, I've got all the, the technical details, names, and all of that information set aside. So we'll go back, have another chat with them, and, and try and get a bit more information and, and try and make more sense of, of the transformer gun for the helicopter. And then other stuff, I mean, there were, oh my God, so many handguns and rifles and things were displayed. <laughs> I mean, that's it. I mean, one one thing that, that stuck out was quite interesting was there was a stand that had it, kind of like a hardened plastic rifle case. And what, what you would do is you would take a pistol and then, I suppose, insert, fasten it into the rifle case, and it would essentially give you a, a rifle grip for firing firing a pistol. Um, that was quite interesting. Yeah. Well, the, the the idea isn't isn't that new. Going, going way back, uh, the... C96, I think it was, the old German sort of Luger-ish type pistols, you could get kind of a wooden stock that you could strap to the back of it. Um, so you'd, you'd have the capability for slightly greater, uh, uh, to, to engage targets at slightly greater range. Um, and this is kind of the same idea. So in other words, you take 
any pistol was was their their sort of promise um, and you basically slot this into one of these polymer bodies and you get as as they described sort of a submachine gun capability so i suppose it's firing a nine millimeter round potentially so you've got a nine millimeter submachine gun in that sense but it's not really but uh, from holding it, the the weight, the feel of it, the way it, it sort of changed, you 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 definitely gain something from that. Um, and who do you think they're trying to target with a weapon like that? I mean, it's it, you wouldn't give it to your infantry, presumably you would just buy them rifles, right? So who are these who are these people who are using right. rifles? Well, in that case, maybe maybe going for a police angle. So so you've got your your police are obviously trained on their sidearms. So now you give them give them a slightly more uh, tactically offensive capability with something like that, or perhaps um, something like special forces doing covert stuff. Maybe I don't know. It's it's again technologically really interesting. The 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 tactical application of it um, requires a little bit more. I, I suppose that's where the marketing team needs to needs to step in and, and kind of give some ideas of what what it can be used for. But yeah, also very very interesting to look at. And then in moving along, we bumped into, there was a guy, um, I think it was one of the American stands who had uh, done some very clever stuff to one of the American rifles. I mean, you're far more familiar with this kind of stuff than I am. Uh, what, was, what, was, what was he doing and what was special about it? Right. Well, again, we're, we're, going, to, we're going to come back to all of this and write it up in more detail. We'll, we'll give names and all the specifics of it. But, but essentially, amongst the, the American stands, we, we found immediately that, that many of the Americans were very, very good at their presentations. They seemed to have a very slick presentation style, which, which was, was fantastic to, to kind of to see. Uh, what was shown to us, aside from a bunch of very interesting stretches and self-application <laughs> tourniquets and things like that, uh, going over to the lethal side, um, first was a, uh, an old... 1920s style BAR. So this was this was the old the the, the sort of predecessor of a squad automatic weapon, um, and saw ex- extensive use in World War Two. Uh, a lot of people really sort of liked this weapon. It fired the old the 30 or six rifle round, which means you only had a magazine of 20 rounds, and the thing weighed an absolute ton. And what these guys have done is basically take that system um, and shave down some of the weight, put new furniture on it, and it is now being sort of sold as a... They were selling it as a sniper rifle, but I think what they sort of specifically meant was was a, a designated marksman rifle. So you've got a, a really powerful rifle round, uh, obviously thinking kind of Afghanistan sort of conflict, where you want to be able to shoot from one side of the valley to the other. Because um, he was talking about how it would work well as a, an anti-sniper kind of weapon. So yes, yeah. It's not as... as Specialist as a dedicated sniper rifle, but still can be used for you know, longer range engagements. Absolutely, and that that's that's the the, the DMR role, right down. Um, and just having carried around for a little while, it's still heavy. Make no mistake, um, but nothing at all like like what the old uh, BAR felt like. Um, and then the second weapon that he showed us was a uh, an AR platform, so your standard M16 style. Uh, weapon in in appearance, uh, but working off a gas piston system. So you know, sort of that 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 old competition between uh, the, the 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 sort of the AK style and a uh, AR, or at least um, Colter AR M4 M16, that whole family. Um, obviously, the, the the main area of complaint is that the the 
for lack of a better designation, the American-style weapons tend to jam all the time. They get dusty because of the way the mechanism works. Uh, and so essentially what they've done is is kind of cross over to the AK-style system. Um, it Within the chassis of the American... Yeah, absolutely. And then culture. they threw in a, uh, a, a heavily forged barrel as well. And the, the basic promise was that this this weapon was was more reliable than an AK, uh, but had the accuracy of an M16-style weapon. Um, it was... They, they, were, they were pretty pretty confident that this is the single greatest advancement in the weapon. They, they sort of made no bones about it, which obviously, you know, needs to be tested. But uh, one of the claims that really stuck out to me was that they could not make it jam. Um, immediately after that, they followed up by showing me... If it did jam. If it did jam, we've also built this mechanism in, which allows you to, to clear the jam with your offhand. So if you're a right-handed shooter, right hand's on the, on the trigger... Uh, with your left hand, you can clear the jam up at the top of the gun, and you're still on target. So, yeah. Uh, was he demonstrating something with a dust cover that I wasn't entirely clear on what the cleverness was? Oh, right. Well, with the uh, uh, where the, the forward assist is at the, the rear of the weapon, that also would engage the dust cover and just pop it, op- uh, pop it closed, pop it open as necessary. The, the, the basic argument being, um, you know, if you, if you suddenly need to engage a target or if you're certainly engaged um, you know you don't have time to think about popping open the, the dust cover or anything like that uh, so just another reinforcement of let's make this gun unjammable um, which in terms of solving the problems with the M16 M4 sort of platform absolutely you know great that they're, they're putting that sort of effort in um, speaking to him further about well where do you want to go with this weapon he was quite honest it's very expensive he said again no no specific numbers given but very expensive to the point that it's really only going to go in the direction of special forces uh, and then kind of optimistically he was thinking but then maybe your, your sort of mainline yes your mainline infantry would say well how come they get a weapon that they never have to clean or always is working yeah and then we were poking around a little bit later at the uh, South African stand as well, and I noticed, uh, which was a bit disappointing, Arms Corps was not properly set up at the time. Like there were there were a couple of stands that appeared to have people missing, but there was a stand with ballistic underpants, and that was <laughs> that already made my day. That was just the weirdest thing to see. Right? Yes, the ballistic the ballistic undies. Um, we were looking at at body armor, um, but but especially the sort of VIP body armor. So. Um, you know, hidden in a waistcoat kind of thing. Um, again, only only the lower level, I think Stenag level three, something it's along like those lines. Handgun kind of protection. Quite right. Um, and then, not really, obviously not not intending to protect any further than that. But uh, we also noticed that there was there was underwear included in this this sort of setup. Uh, again, low protection, but very interesting the way he he mentioned that, uh, for instance. Um, soldiers wearing the the military specific side uh, ammunition, um, not ammunition, uh, the, the 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 body armor. Um, they would sometimes flip up the groin protector plate, uh, which which was just a, a straightforward plate system that would sort of hang over over that vital area. Uh, and while running around, jumping over things, it would move around and invariably 
annoy them so they flip it out of the way and then of course that leaves them open to yeah uh, so rather just build it into into the sort of underwear system and protect yourself which which is interesting um they then or or when we pushed for further information there was some hint that that some of the same ideas employed by the u.s marine corps for protecting against ieds uh that same sort of idea so it's it's not just ballistic protection from bullets and that sort of thing, but also from fragmentation. Uh, so quite interesting and yeah, I suppose a little bit a little bit giggle worthy on the side as well. And it was interesting as well just to, to see some of the characters who were walking around the, the convention floor as well. I mean, there were all kinds of interesting uniforms running around, so people that may or may not have been special forces. Mm-hmm. That, that, there was a, a gentleman walking around in what appeared to be a white pimp suit with a uh, possibly his girlfriend in full camo and high heels. I mean, that's right. Really bizarre characters. Yes, the 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 flamboyant. Yeah, he had to be some sort of pimp suit gun runner. Yeah, I would have I would have loved five minutes to talk with him. But um, you're quite right. There were a fair number of of I'd say likely to be special forces types. Maybe not maybe not to the extent at, as would attend something like Sofix. I suppose at Sofix they just outwardly present themselves as special forces. But here there are a couple. We also noticed a few people wearing civilian clothes that clearly were not familiar with wearing civilian clothes um, and also had incredibly short haircuts. Yeah. Yes, and interesting tans. So so you see all sorts wandering around. And, of course, the the large groups of, uh, of military personnel, um, lots and lots of brass, with with attachés carrying all sorts of bags of goodies that they'd received from various exhibitors. So it is, people watching can be very, very interesting and, and quite worthwhile at this sort of thing. And so today there were none of the conference program or um, speaking appointments were running. So, I mean, we just spent our day literally walking from not even one end of the, the exhibition floor to the other it was sufficiently large i think we got lost at one point <laughs> navigating by a mixture of tanks and drone signs um tomorrow will be uh, like a conference almost a conference program happening in the background and i know we know so i think i mean tomorrow we'll be partly looking at maybe catching some of those events um as well as maybe picking up on some of the, the sort of weapons and equipment and things that we saw on the floor that um, are more tied to kind of uh, African conflicts and kind of recent issues that we saw um, some interesting weapons like the weapons that are currently being used by Tanzanian special forces uh, we saw as well um, just, you know, some interesting uh, manpad devices and other things that have been popping up here and there on the continent. That's right well maybe not the manpads but we're going to definitely go back and check up on a few weapon systems that we spotted that, that are worth digging a little deeper in uh, deep before I'm continuing on my my quest to unravel the 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 interesting genealogy of the Argo gecko because we we did and ask dodged your question too. yes we we tried asking a few questions about that and and the questions were either intentionally or unintentionally very well dodged uh, and we couldn't help but notice that there were pictures in the background involving clearly South African soldiers riding a gecko even though it was the Argo stand so and for those unfamiliar with the Argo, it, it is essentially the gecko. Uh, or yeah, the, or the other way around, the, the on gecko. On a dark night, you would, you would confuse the two quite easily. Yeah, quite right. Um, th- this, is, this is talking back to 
to what we spotted on the the pre-opening day outdoor exhibition. Uh, so the the Argo slash Gecko is is a six or eight in this case eight wheeled uh, uh, ATV. Um, pushing me in that direction of sort of ultra lightweight people movers. Um, and we have most definitely <laughs> agreed on the, the, the idea that, that what we saw was for all intents and purposes, a gecko, which is what the SANDF uses. Um, and yet it was the Argo and having dug around, apparently the SANDF gecko was, uh, built from the Argo specifications. But at that point, Argo was being designed by Canadians, uh, not the French. So it's, it's invariably going to be a completely honest case of uh, subcontracting, selling the design somewhere along the line, but still interesting to just track down who, who actually had it first. It's interesting that the common flavors to a lot of the stuff that we've seen. So, I mean, the Gecko Argo, um, a lot of some of the, for example, hull designs with these sort of generic light armored 4x4 designs. Right, right. The, rifles, the, yeah. the ubiquitous ALTV. And, and by that, we are now using the, the acronym Another Light Tactical Vehicle because they really do all start to look the same after a while. Um, and yes, absolutely. The, the, the larger um, APCs, AFVs, so the personnel carriers and fighting vehicles, um, veritable sea of tan vehicles today so so we'll we'll do our best to to try and find the the more interesting or more unique ones focus on a couple of those i mean tomorrow as well i'd, I'd be really interesting to, interested to chat to certainly some of the people making drones um about whether there's there's been any moves or noises towards making any kind of uh, cheap and effective anti-drone technology because um, it does seem maybe like a gap to me, certainly like a gap in the market that we have increasingly effective drones for performing a variety of roles, but no inexpensive or certainly less expensive than a drone uh, means of, of countering drones. Um, so, for example, using some shoulder launch device to take out a drone, um, if, if, if effective, certainly seems like an expensive way to destroy what are often very cheap craft. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, on the other hand, using something like a shotgun with buckshot could be very effective. But of course the drones we're looking at today are flying very high or can be very small or moving quite fast. So yeah, it's, it's an entirely new angle on sort of asymmetric warfare and definitely something to track down. So maybe we'll go have a chat with some of the, the UAV or UAS uh, manufacturers and say, well, what, what do you consider a threat? And maybe we go and chat with a couple of the, the man pads, manufacturers and say do you have a cheap small weapon specifically designed for for knocking down drones have you given any thought to it so yeah another little angle of photo and then of course something i'm really looking forward to uh to looking at over at the the innovation section uh which is a is a kind of area set aside specifically for small startups and pushing perhaps radical exciting new technologies two words robot legs uh, the the exoskeleton uh, display, which we've only briefly seen, and we intend looking at a lot closer. Seeing if they will let us try them out. I doubt it. But <laughs> it would yeah. be interesting to try that for us. Right. So yeah, until tomorrow. Um, that's been some of the highlights. We'll sit, be, certainly be talking a lot more about uh, the companies that are producing these various things, um, and with much more detail, we'll we'll try and put together a lot more comprehensive information about companies producing, what specifically it is they're making, and 
throw in as much much of the information or the press info that we possibly can. And for those who are following the, the conference online, it, the hashtag is hash Eurosatry, and certainly our um, Twitter tag, at African Defence. If you have questions or things you'd like us to follow up with with people, um, yeah, we'd love to hear about um, and insofar as we can find people on that, that massive exhibition floor, <laughs> we'll certainly do our best. Yes. Thank <laughs> you.